Amen. You know, I just have a sense that this church knows how to pray. I just feel that. And uh, two days ago, Kampala, Uganda was rocked with a suicide bomber. And a few days before that, another suicide bomber. And uh, we're seeing a, a tremendous uptick in, in these kind of things happen. I wonder, Pastor, I think it would be okay if if we just take one moment here. You don't need to stand, but could we just pray for Uganda? Pray for our two missionary families that are there, that a spirit of fear will not overtake them, that God would be with them. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you that we don't have to be afraid that we can but we can come into your arms and we can come into your presence and we can come into that, that almighty power that we know that you have. And Father, as organizations of this world attempt and try to, to bring fear and to bring issues and challenges to around the world, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to turn the tide and God, that you would console those families who, who lost loved ones over these last several days, Lord, and I pray for our missionary families, God, that you would give them boldness, that you would give them strength, that you would do in them what you have called them to do, and God, that this would be a moment, an opportunity for the gospel, Lord, to go forward like never before, and we thank you, and we bless you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I just believe that prayer will change things. Somebody say amen. We're so thankful to be with you and to be a part of, of uh, your, your celebration here this Sunday. And I don't take lightly the fact that I get the opportunity to be with you on a Sunday morning. And, and uh, as a pastor, I know how valuable those moments are. And so I want to, as I'm opening here, just direct your attention to the book of Acts chapter 16. We're going to kind of park in Acts 16 this morning and see what the Lord will show us. But I want to give thanks to your pastor, to the staff, everyone that helped to make uh, our uh, our journey here just so wonderful and, and helping us with all the setup and so on. And we're, and we're just so thankful for that. You know, in every life, there are seasons. Some of us have had less seasons than others. Some of us had a few more seasons than the one next to us. But in every life, there are seasons. And as I come to you this morning, my wife and I, my wife Sherry, uh, we come to you at a season in our life where it would be easier to just say, you know what, the kids are gone, our boys, our two sons are grown, one serving in the army, one working in the trades. It would be easy at this point in our life to say, let's just step back and, and begin to look toward a time where we can retire, do those kind of things. But yet, a few, just a, nearly a year ago, God put a new challenge, a new season in our heart, and we want to answer that season with everything that is within us. And, and, and I, I think of the, min, the ministry of the Apostle Paul as we come into the book of Acts chapter 16, and, and we realize that Paul, this great apostle, still had to walk in the flesh that you and I have to walk in. And he still had to decide and make decisions about the future of ministry and what he would do. And I want to just jump into the Word of God this morning and just begin to see what God will do there. Acts 16 verse 6 through 10 says, Paul and his companion traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept 
by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we stop right there, we could, we get a different thought. Well, he's being kept. He's being preserved. He's being taken care of by the Spirit of God. But that's not the end of the verse. It says, you've been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried, tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and they went to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia, of Macedonia standing and begging, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready, everybody say at once, at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. Now, I love this passage because I think it shows us two very, very important things. Number one, it tells us that God is calling that God is still speaking to men and women about the future of His church and about where the gospel must be preached. And God is still putting vision in the hearts of men and women. I spent a few day, a few hours, a few days ago with a pastor here in Southern Missouri just talking about vision, talking about what he saw God wanting to do in the church where he is serving now. I'm so thankful today that God is still calling and God is still placing in the hearts of men and women a vision for planting churches. Now, we understand statistically that the quickest way to evangelize the world is to plant more churches because new churches tend to tend to attract non-believers, those who don't yet know Christ. And so I'm thankful that God is still putting the vision not only in Paul's mind and heart, but in the hearts of men and women today. But secondly, I think the the, the, the key to this passage is this, is that when God puts the call and God puts the vision in someone's heart, that there is an obedience to see it come to pass. Because a vision is not a vision until it's working out, until it's obediently being followed after. As that man in Macedonia in Paul's vision begged him to come and to plant this church there, Paul and his companions, they, 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 they willingly and, and immediately, it seems from the scriptures, conclude that they need to go and preach the gospel in this place. But I want you to notice a few things. In verses 6 through 7, we understand that Paul and his companions are prevented first from preaching. Now, I think this is a fascinating idea because when you think about Paul, think about who Paul is. Paul's a preacher. It's estimated that Paul walked 25,000 miles in his, uh, in his ministry lifetime. He, what was he doing? He was going to plant churches. He was going to preach the gospel. He was on his way to bring the gospel to yet another place. But yet on this journey, the Holy Spirit stops him and stops his companions from preaching the gospel in Asia. And I think this idea is fascinating because I think it shows us that not only does God call, but God calls at a specific time and a specific place. Because notice that Paul that notice also that Paul and his company were obedient not to preach the gospel where they weren't supposed to, but that didn't stop them from preaching the gospel where God had called them to. 
where God had brought them to. So, so when you get down to verses 8 through 10, you, you, you begin to see something here that God has a different plan than what Paul and his companions were thinking about. You see, God's plan for Paul and his company at this time is to preach the gospel in Macedonia, not in Asia. And their response is immediate. Why? Because I love this. It says, the scripture says that they concluded. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a dream of a man begging me to come and preach the gospel in that place, it would not be hard to come to that conclusion. Yet Luke decides to give us this insight into the fact that I think they sat around and they thought about this and Paul shared with them what it was and the hardships that they might face and the joys that they might see. And they come to the conclusion that the gospel must be preached. And so they go. Now, if you know anything about Paul and and his life, you understand that he did things kind of similar. Look at Acts 16 in verse 11, he says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. Now, I know you guys all know where those places are. And from there we traveled to where? To Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, they, they come to this place called Philippi. They kind of gather there as a team. And, and, and they stay for a few days, and then eventually they head out to the city gates. Now, if you know anything about Paul, Paul had a certain method when he came into a town to, to, to start a new church. The first thing Paul would do is he would come in and he would find a synagogue where he would begin to preach Jesus as the Messiah. And as he preached Jesus as the Messiah, people would put their faith in Christ. He would begin to form this church, and then he would begin to train elders, and then he would leave those elders in charge, and then he would move on to the next place. But when they get to Philippi, there's no synagogue. Notice it doesn't say Philippi, a leading city of the Jews. It says a Roman colony and leading city of Macedonia. When when they get to Philippi, there's no synagogue to preach in. You know, uh, history tells us that it takes 70 men in order for a synagogue to be established. There's not even 70 male Jewish believers in this place called Philippi. So Paul and his companions have a choice. We either do things the way we've always done them, or we change and preach the gospel anyways. So what is God? So what happens here? Look, in verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman, to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. I hope that at the end of my life, that can be put on my tombstone. He was a worshiper of God. What a a testimony. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she good thing there was a river nearby so they could baptize her. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. Now, I think there was probably food involved, so it probably wasn't hard to persuade them. Amen. It was like Thanksgiving all over. Amen. (laughs) And I'm so thankful. But here's what I'm saying. 
when, how many of you understand and how many of you have, have walked through this idea or walked through this place in your life where you make plans and you do things a certain way and you've got a plan for this and you expect this to happen and, and you've looked out into the future knowing for sure that you could control every aspect of it. And then when you finally get to the place to do what you thought you were going to do, everything changes. In 1999, God opened the door for me to go to South Africa. South Africa is at the very bottom of the continent of Africa. God had already been dealing with my wife and I about ministry in Africa. We were on staff at a large church in western Kentucky, a very missions-minded, missions-giving church. And they, and in 1999, they gave us the op, they gave me the opportunity to go. My wife was uh, pregnant, she couldn't fly, but they gave me the opportunity to go and spend two weeks in South Africa, preaching, doing crusades, these kind of things. Come home, we begin to pray through what God's future would be for us in Africa. Well, a good friend of mine had planted a church in a small town called Johannesburg, just the nine million people there in that town. And uh, he had planted a church there, but he needed to leave that church and he needed someone to come take over. So as we began to pray about our future there, God spoke to us very clearly and we concluded that we were supposed to go to South Africa. So by this time, our youngest son had been born, and now our uh, our oldest son had been born, and now our youngest son had just been born, and 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 we're talking about going to Africa. So I go to my pastor, and I say, this is what I feel like God's putting in my heart. This is what I feel like our future is. He asked us to wait a few months because we just needed to process through some things and work through some things there in the congregation and in the church. But when we finally felt the release to go, our pastor stood behind a pulpit on Sunday night. He told the church that we would be leaving the church to become missionaries in, in, uh, in South Africa. The church gathered around us, took up a $40,000 offering in one night, and we got on a plane three weeks later, and we went to Johannesburg with a two-year-old and a one-year-old. Try it 18 hours in an airplane with two toddlers. Praise God. I'm, 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 I'm still, I'm still, I got a nervous thing when that happens, but, but here, here's what I know. I was 30 years old. My wife was somewhere in that vicinity, and, uh, we, we were going there to, to, re, to just take, take this church and just turn it around and just see what God would do. And man, we read all the books, pastor. We had, we had all the plans. I had it laid out on a sheet of paper. This is what we're going to do first. And this is where we're going to go. And this is how we're going to get this started and that started. And I get to Johannesburg and God blows everything to pieces. Anybody ever been there? One man said, make your plans and God laughs. He was belly laughing when I got to Johannesburg. But I'll tell you what God did. God began to put his real vision in our heart and get ours out of the way. And here's what he did. He gave us a little lady by the name of Julia Shabalala. Julia's the lady in the white hat in the back. I tried to point her out. I could never find a picture where she wasn't praying. I've got over 8,000 pictures from South Africa. Can't find any where she's not praying. And Julia became our Lydia. She became the one that began to introduce us to people and help us to know people. And you know what? She just had a deep heart for children. She just loved children. Half of 
half of that country was under the age of 15. Half of Uganda, where we're going, is under the age of 14. It's the second youngest population in the world. 85% of the 49 million people are under the age of 35. But we're sitting there and we're like, man, we're going to come in and start this church. But you know what God does? God puts us in a schoolroom in the middle of a township, a schoolroom where there's bullet holes in the chalkboard. One day I was preaching in there on a Tuesday night and a dead critter fell out of the ceiling and landed on top of my head. You'd have to kick the rats out of the door and to get the key in it to turn it on and, and all this. But you know what? My wife began to teach a group of women about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they would gather on Tuesday nights in this little public school classroom and she would teach them about baptism in the Spirit. And after a few weeks, they finally came to her and they said, Mom Fundisi, which in Zulu means mother pastor, mother pastor, we want to keep coming to the Bible study, but we don't know what to do with our children. Could we bring our children? And she says, of course. And so we come back next Tuesday and we walk in and there are the five or six ladies and then there's about 10 kids. And so my wife looks at me and I look at her and she's, I say, what are you going to do about the kids? And she looks at me and says, what are you going to do about the kids? I said, well, I didn't come to Africa to be a children's pastor, but I guess that'll be okay. Took the kids in one corner of the classroom. She went to the other. I told them a little Bible story or whatever it was. And they seemed to enjoy it because we came back the next week and there were 20 kids. And I look at my wife and I say, what are you going to do about the kids? Funny, she had the same response. So I take the kids in the corner. We come back the next week. There's 40 kids. By this time, all the women in the Bible study have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So my wife looks at them and says, guess what you are? You're our new Christian education department. And she, she began training them and equipping them to do children's ministry and to begin to do what God was doing. And Julia was right there on the forefront, bringing kids, bringing them to that little classroom on Tuesday nights and loving them and, 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 and just being with them. And, 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 and she just did so much, so much to reach out to so many people. Matter of fact, this is a picture of just one Sunday morning. We didn't have enough room after we got out of the classroom and into another place. We averaged about 120 kids in our Sunday school class or children's church every Sunday morning because Julia would go out and she would bring them. We would pack five 16-passenger buses, which in Africa means 32 passengers. And they would pack those buses and come in and minister to them. And you know what Julia would do? Her ministry didn't stop there. We just began to keep equipping her, equipping her, and helping her. And, and you know what she would do? At the, on Sundays, she would go home and she would take about 12 kids with her. And they would get in their house and she would teach them how to pray. And we had just a massive unemployment and they would say, they would say, go, go, Julia. Go, go means grandmother in Zulu. Go, go. We must pray for our my, our my dad because he has no job. And they would pray, and on Monday she'd get a call. Hey, thanks for praying. I got a job. And they would pray again the next week and another job and the next week and another job. So much so that one day they're in there praying after church, and they hear. She goes to the back door. She opens. It's a Dutch door. It's one of those that splits, you know, and she opens the top of that door, and there's a crowd standing at her door. She looks back and she says, can I help you? The man in front says, madam, we've come here because we've heard in the neighborhood. And I understand this neighborhood's about a half million people. We've heard around the neighborhood that if we come here, children will pray for us and God will give us jobs. 
And Julia said, well, I, that's true. And so she opened the bottom door, she walked out, and there were people lined outside the house all the way into the street. So she went to the front of her little house. It's about, tw- about 30 feet wide, about 25 feet deep. And she opened up the back door. She opened up the front door, formed a prayer line with kids. And those kids and people just began to pass through the house and kids laying hands on them and praying for them. And, and for months, Pastor, months, we got testimony after testimony after testimony of people getting jobs. Why? Not because because of us, but because the church helped us get there so that we could equip someone who could reach out to children. And we watched those children pray and we watched God heal people. We watched God do amazing things to them. Why? Because somebody said, I'll go and I'll change my plans. I'll do whatever it takes so that God will have his way. Well, pastor, over a 12 year period, we saw over a thousand people come to Jesus, 875 baptized in the Holy Spirit, started four churches by starting Sunday school classes and children's churches. Why? Because the gospel must be preached. The gospel must be preached. You know what? I, I know this, that there's never a time that we, that we don't face opposition when we preach the gospel. Never a time we don't face opposition. Because the enemy doesn't want the gospel preached. And I'm not going to read these passages, but Acts 16, 16 through 40, many of you know the story. Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. Man, they're sending home newsletters with all kinds of great stuff, and people are coming to Jesus. And and then some devil-possessed woman gets ticked off at them. She lies about them. She gets them in trouble. And they get arrested, and they get put in jail. And so they start whining. Oh, I just don't know why. If I'm here preaching, if I'm doing God's will, why am I suffering? Oh, I just don't know why God is doing it. No, if you know the story at all, you understand that then they're chained to the floor of a dungeon and they turned that prison cell into a worship space and they begin to praise God at midnight. They begin to sing praises unto God. They begin to worship Him. And the power of God begins to shake that place where they're in. And their chains are loosed and they're able to go free and to do the work of God. But on the way out, they preach the gospel to the jailer. And the jailer says, come to my house. And they preach the gospel to the family. And the family comes to Jesus. Why? Because the gospel must be preached. Now, when I look at Paul and Silas, I see their prison becomes a worship service. How is this? Because folks, hear me. Even during adversity, God's plan for building his church doesn't stop. It doesn't go into hiding. It doesn't step back. As a matter of fact, I think God would tell us in this day and age, it's time to stand up, step out, and be bold and to preach the gospel like we've never preached it before. Into the highways and the byways, to the small towns and the big cities. The gospel must be preached. We've never been put in prison for our faith, but we've tri- we faced some challenges in ministry. This is the school where my, where my two sons went to school up until the sixth grade. One day we got a call. You need to come get your kids. We're being attacked. There, there's uh, Molotov cocktails coming over the fences. People are slashing tires, ruining cars because the union went on strike and they're, they're, their class, their, their school didn't go on strike. 
So we go, we rescue them out of there. I got a call when they were really young, when they were in kindergarten. Someone in our church had gotten angry at us, and, and so much so they tried to kidnap our kids. We dealt with that situation and worked through that. We, we've been through some, some, some stuff that we just, we can't even really talk about these days, but here's, here's what I understand. That even in adversity, even in the problems, even when there's, there's adversity, even when it doesn't seem like God is at work, God is at work. Even in that, even in all of the tragedy, God can use that to further the gospel. When the jailer came in to, after the earthquake, he found them prisoners set free, but he got set free himself. How? Because of a tragedy. Because of a problem. We all face adversity and Paul's preaching of the gospel brings them to that. You know, I talked earlier at the beginning of this about seasons in life. We had that season there in South Africa. We saw God do amazing things. We came home. We had a season of pastoring in in a small town outside of Kansas City, taking a church that was going to lock its doors and sell the building after 85 years of ministry and saw God turn that thing around and saw now a church that was in 2019 given the award for the community betterment in our in our town. We saw God do amazing things there. But about four years ago, what I didn't know is Pastor Alan Perkins was standing in Jinja, Uganda, the place where we're going to go live. He's on the street in Jinja. He's there teaching some Pentecostal churches. He's walking down the street in Jinja, overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, falls to his knees and begins to cry out for God to send Assembly of God missionaries to that city and to that country. It's been over 40 years since we've had an Assembly of God missionary in the nation of Uganda. But what I, what I didn't know is as he was praying, God was picking up that prayer and coming and putting it into our hearts. And he began to shift our hearts back toward Africa. We began to sense that God was leading us there. We began to know that God was, was preparing for that. And over the, over a three or four year period, we just began to prepare our church. We began to prepare ourselves for what God would do. And then COVID hit and we're live streaming our services and I'm sitting in a garage. They didn't teach me how to be a video producer in seminary. But I'm sitting in my garage and I got a computer and screens and I'm doing the best I can to broadcast out uh, these services on Facebook and YouTube. And we didn't want to skip our missions because missions was very important to the, to, to the, to the ethos of our church. And so, so we asked uh, Derek Fondermerve, Southern Missouri missionary, to send us a video so that we could include it in our service. I'm sitting in my garage. My wife is in the other part of the house. And there, Pastor Derek says, there are 550 pastors in Uganda who have never had access to quality biblical training. And immediately, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, that's where I've been preparing for you to go. Uganda's waiting. I said, okay, Lord, we'll go. After service, we went to the only restaurant open in town, Sonic. And we pull up and we're eating an ice cream in our Subaru and my wife looks over. Remember, she's in another part of the house. She looks over at me and says, you feel like God spoke to you in service today? I said, I do, but you first. She said, God said it's time to go to Uganda. I said, you know what? It's funny. He said that same thing to me. So we picked up that call and we answered it. Why? Because we concluded that we need to preach the gospel there. So what are we going to be doing in this next season of our life? Well, 
our 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 hope. Oh, I went all the way. I went the wrong way, Pastor. I mean, I don't know which way to go. Amen. Who cares? Here's what we're gonna do. God's gonna help us to. There we go. God's gonna help us to equip pastors and leaders. We've got 550 Assembly of God pastors. Only 12 of them have ever had any Bible college. Only 5% or excuse me, 5% have had any kind of Bible college. Only 12 have reached the place where they could be ordained. We need to train leaders. We need to train them quickly. We're believing in our first 18 months there, God's going to help us to train and equip a thousand pastors and leaders because we need to do rapid training and rapid, rapidly bringing them to the place where they can begin to have to be more effective with, with what God has called them to do. And so we're believing God for that. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to start a church planters academy because we don't want to just train, but we want to deploy. We want to bring leaders in, and we want to deploy them to some of the most remote areas of our nation, places where the gospel has not yet been preached, places where the where there's not a wi- adequate witness of the gospel, places where churches need to be planted, where churches need to be raised up, healthy, life-giving churches. It's the vision of Africa Assembly of God to plant a church within walking distance of every African. Therefore, our vision is to plant a church within walking distance of every Ugandan because everybody deserves to hear the gospel. Carl Henry said it like this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. We want to get there in time. We want to get there in time. But not only are we going to equip leaders and plant churches, but my wife will be overseeing the Compassion Ministries. Specifically, she'll be working with women's empowerment. My wife is an amazing lady, amazing woman of God who has skills and abilities that she's going to be able to pass on to other women to help them start local sustainable businesses so that they can take care of their families and be raised up out of poverty. If you come by the table after service, you can see some of the things she'll be teaching them. She's working with women now, making paper beads, and then they bring those into the United States. She creates jewelry out of that and 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 and, and helps them uh, to, to carry their businesses forward. Why do we do this? I've said it 50 times, I'll say it again, because the gospel must be preached. Our job is not to go and be the only preacher. Our job is to multiply, to raise up leaders, to see Uganda transformed into the nation that God has called it to be. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray. I thank God for churches all across the district that have caught the vision of Uganda and are helping us. Thank you, Pastor, for letting us know that your church will be, that Oak Grove will be joining us. You know, it was hard not to turn into Oak Grove, Missouri this morning as I drove by it. I was thinking, oh, got to go to the wrong place. But uh, uh, but we're, we're so thankful for that because here's what, here's what I want you to understand. Your giving to missions is not just another time to put something in the plate. Every dollar you give is going to change the life of someone you'll never meet this side of eternity. Every dollar you give means a church can get planted where somebody's never heard the name of Jesus before. We sing about speaking the name of Jesus. I want to speak it over Uganda this morning. Would you join me with that? Would you join me in speaking the name of Jesus over that nation? Folks, only two out of ten people in Uganda even have electricity.
corners 